0: Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's message of the week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Last week we saw this, next slide, we saw the four key elements uh, that really make up lament. We saw these in Psalm 13, we said, first thing that you do is you turn to God. The second thing you do is you bring your complaint Thirdly, you ask boldly and fourthly, you choose to trust. And over the next uh, couple of months, we're going to have weeks on all four and a couple of other things sprinkled in as well to help us. Uh, it's my belief, observation, opinion, that we as charismatic, evangelical Christians, generally generally middle-class. Can I say that without offending anyone? If you're called Lord or lady here, then apologies. We're very good at three and four, and we spent a lot of time in the church looking at numbers three and four, asking boldly and choosing to believe no matter what the situation, but we've perhaps been a little bit more reticent, a little bit quieter. It's a little bit new to be talking about bringing our complaint to God. Maybe even that causes you to get a little bit itchy in your seat the very notion that we might bring a complaint to God. And so, uh, for this, is sort of, this is intro week two. Uh, we're going to focus in again on point one and two, not because they are the most important, but because there's a lacking of emphasis in this area. These aren't the only things we do. We do all four, to lament, but perhaps we already know what we're doing with number three and four. It's all right, it's diabetics in the room, it's okay. Tell us if you need help. (laughs) We already feel a little bit more comfortable with number three and four. Perhaps we find number one and two a little bit more challenging, and so I want to go over them again today. I want to emphasize them, I want to prepare us to do those things. Uh, And why are we looking at this series called The Practice of Lament? Well, every one of us is one phone call away from being plunged into life-altering pain. Some of you have had that phone call. In the last couple of years, we've discovered it's not only phone calls, press conferences can plunge all of us into a whole new world of pain. And so what are we going to do when we hit those moments in life where we are suddenly confronted with something beyond our control? And as I've already said, lament is a gift from God to us. It helps us in the middle of life to direct our emotion, our pain, our questions, our doubts, our suffering towards God. And in the process of bringing it to him, we ourselves are brought close to him. That's why we're looking at lament. And my title for today, there's a slide for it. It says, it's not, sorry, it says, it is okay not to be okay. It is okay not to be okay just not to build your home there. And this is what we're going to spend some time looking at this morning. You see, we live in a world that, from all kinds of angles, often tells us we need to have it together. And the church is perhaps the most guilty of places in the world for kind of forcing people to look like they've got it together. I'm not the only one who's felt that pressure. That you must have it together as you walk through the doors of church. That everyone else is sorted and that you're the only one with problems. What's one of the main things that the world around us would say about Christians and churches in our day? That we are hypocrites. There are some other not nice words too that some people would use about the church. But one of the primary complaints about the church is that it's full of hypocrites. They're talking about the person sitting next to you, of course, not you. But what they're saying is that person wears a mask. The other side, the other side. They wear a mask, they pretend, and they judge other people for the very things they struggle with. That's what the world thinks we all do as Christians. I know it's not true. I know you're real kind and gracious and merciful people. But it's perhaps because we've not always been as clear that it is okay not to be okay. Just not okay to build your home there. And what I want to do this morning is two things. First of all, I want to look at a collection of people and characters in the Bible who we see when they are not okay. I've not got a passage as such this morning. There isn't a verse in the Bible that says it is okay not to be okay but I'm going to prove to you that it is okay not to be okay by showing you many stories of people who were not okay. They just didn't build their home there. And then I'm going to confront the question, which is this. How many times have you been asked how you are, and you begin to answer and you realize you don't know how you are? I am as far down the introvert, extrovert spectrum pretty much as you can get. So it often takes me being asked what I think about something or how I'm doing for me to know. Because until it leaves my mouth, I don't know. There you go, you all know me a little bit better. There's your warning. Often for me, I find myself, people will ask me and I go, oh, suddenly I'm discovering how I am. And as I've gone through years of pastoring and helping people, as you begin to poke around in people's lives and they're telling you stuff, very few people, is my experience, genuinely know how they are. And so the second thing I want to do this morning is to look at how can we know when we're not okay. Does that sound like two useful things to do this morning? Excellent. So, first up, we're going to look at a few Bible characters who we see in moments when they are not okay. If you've got a Bible, you can flick around. This is going to be good practice. I'll give you book, chapter, and verse so you can double check what I'm saying but I'm not putting it on the screen and I'm not holding my own Bible, but it is from the Bible. (laughs) Promise. First up, next slide, please, David, is Job. Where else was I going first but Job? This is what Job says in chapter 30, verse 16 of the book about his life. He says, And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones My gnawing pains never rest. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. Job is not okay. Repeat after me. Job is not okay. Second up, Elijah. 1 Kings 19, verse 3. He comes from one of the greatest victories of the man's life, and it says this Elijah was afraid and ran. For his life. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Repeat after me. Elijah was not okay. Next slide. Naomi. We see Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. She says, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Naomi was not okay. You repeat. Excellent job. Next up, Leah. In chapter 29 of Genesis, we read about Leah. She's married to a man who doesn't love her, but she's the one who keeps having baby boys. There is a great comedy in the story at the same time as tragedy says this, Genesis 29, verse 32. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Reuben means the Lord sees. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to her son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too, and so she named him Simeon. Because Simeon means the Lord has heard. She has another son. Similar outpouring of pain from this unloved woman. Leah was not okay. Superb. Martha is my next story. You know, we we like this story, don't we? But what we sometimes miss is that Jesus says to Martha in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, Martha... Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Because Martha was not okay. Practice, you see. Paul, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. I'm missing some words out, but that's because they're the words you probably remember rather than these ones. We are hard pressed on every side perplexed, persecuted, struck down. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Paul was not okay. (laughs) You're catching me out now. Paul was not okay. Paul was not okay. I haven't got a picture for Jesus, but even Jesus we find. Mark chapter 14, verse 33, it says, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, says Jesus, because Jesus in this moment is not okay. Friends, no, you don't need to do it for Jesus, it's fine. Thank you for being (laughs) obedient and pliable and for learning, but friends, I I could have doubled that list, more. Time and again, the scriptures show us people who are not okay, but we are far more familiar with the next bit of the story. We're far more familiar with the encounter Job has with God at the end of the book and the fact that he has double what he lost restored to him. We're far more familiar with the fact that Elijah has a nap and something to eat and is filled with the power of God to go on and do many more things. We're far more used to the story in Ruth, where Naomi is the recipient of an incredibly selfless act of love and mercy, first of all by Ruth, but then by Boaz. That's the story we tell. We celebrate Judah, Leah's fourth son, because she finally realizes four boys in that it doesn't matter whether her husband loves her or not, God is worthy to be praised. Martha, we miss in all the talk about Mary in this story, is invited to take the position of Mary and to sit at Jesus' feet as a disciple. Paul, I mean, we like Paul, don't we, most of us? Some of us don't, but most of us do. But we don't quote that one I read. We, we quote Romans 8.28. For we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Not we're hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. We prefer we are more than conquerors through him who loved us than we carry around death in our bodies. We focus on not my will, but yours. When Jesus is in the garden, not the fact that he is deeply distressed and troubled. Friends, time and again, we see stories in the Bible of people who are not okay, but we are conditioned to skip that bit or to get through it as fast as we can and to get to the bit where they're okay again. And yet God, in his wisdom, decided that as he, by the Spirit, inspired people to write this down and to put it into a book for you and I, He left it in, again and again and again. Stories of people not okay. Stories of the people of God not okay. We come to the Bible so often with a pair of glasses on that distorts our view of what's inside. It's informed by our experience and the time we live in and the place that we live in and so we see what we want to see. We see a selection of what it tells us. Because we're wearing these glasses that filter stuff out. And we live in a world like we saw last week, didn't we? That tells us that pain and suffering in our lives is a distraction or an obstacle. That we distract ourselves from or we fight. And we invest so much time, energy and money in our lives... Insulating ourselves from suffering, that is it any surprise when we come and we start reading the scriptures, we don't want to read the bit about suffering? Because we're so invested in not suffering. We're so invested in being okay that we don't see all the people who are not okay, both in the Bible and next to you, next to me. We have this distorting lens. But when we read the Bible tomorrow morning, when you pick up the scriptures tomorrow morning and you read them, there is a very good chance you're going to come across someone who is not okay. I mean, I'm not doing Bible in a year this year, but if you are, you're like in the middle of Genesis, like they're all not okay. (laughs) I could hear the amen sort of ripple around. I was like, ah, I know where we are in the year. When we read the Bible, we're going to find them and we've got a choice now because I've pointed it out. You can see the people who are not okay or you can continue to skip it or miss it. I would encourage you, when you see it, linger. Yeah. Read it again. Yeah. Hear what God might be wanting to tell you through the fact that he has so chosen to leave it in there for you to read tomorrow. Yeah. Thank you. It's okay for the people of God not to be okay. Breathe out with me. It's okay for the people of God to not be okay. God's eye is not ranging across the world looking for superheroes. God's ear is not turned to the earth to hear the shouts of people with their CVs because they've got it together. God is not looking for people who can do it. God is not looking for people who have made it. God is not employing workers. There's no interview process. He's a father who's seeking his lost children. Of course, they're not okay. Like, we have a problem when we're always okay. Because it's the not being okay that qualifies us to be found by the God who's searching for those who are lost, who are sick, who are hurting. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to build your home there. It's okay to not be okay, apart from when it's not okay to not be okay because it would be remiss of me not to point out at this point that sometimes it really isn't okay. So we've just had a good joke before. Remember Elijah? We had a little joke, right, because he wanted to die, but he had a nap and something to eat and was okay. I've not met many suicidal people for whom a nap and something to eat sorted them out. I've met a whole load of people who were suicidal, who realized they weren't okay, put their hand up, got help, and are okay. If not being okay is stopping you being able to live your life, if not being okay is causing you to want your life to end, it's not okay. And we have to go, I'm not okay, and ask for help. And you can come to me or someone else in the church. We would love to pray for you. We even take you through the scriptures and perhaps help with your thinking and of God and of life. But I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about going to the people who have spent decades of their lives studying how to help people who are in those situations because by God's grace, we live in 2022. We have this understanding of hormones and chemicals in the body and the balances of them. And we have these drugs that we can give to people that level it out and say so what you couldn't do To get out of your not being okay, you might be able to do. Antidepressants are a gift of God. Try this side. Antidepressants are a gift of God. I've read a couple of books on counseling and I've done a little bit of it you need help? You don't need me. You want a professional. You want someone who's good at this. I'll help you, right? If you break your arm, I'll pray for you. And God might do a miracle and fix your arm, or I'll sign your cast afterwards. (laughs) I'll lift stuff up if you need it lifting, and you can't lift it because you broke your arm. But if your mental health is in a place where you need help, you need someone that's able to help you with your mental health. Drugs, counselling are wonderful gifts of God. I thank the Lord I live in 2022 for most things. It's okay to not be okay apart from when it's not okay that you're not okay and then you need help. It's good for the people of God to go to doctors for help. If you know what you need to do to be okay but you can't do it, you just can't do it. Get help, please. Sometimes it's not okay to not be okay. Part two, Is that okay? I feel like <laughs> crunched the gear slightly, right? But uh, I don't, uh, there's no other way out. There's, there's no smooth link between that bit and the next bit, so. If I asked how are you what would you say sit in your head think about it you can talk to the person next to you if you like what would you say right now how are you <laughs> I've already uh, I've already said many times in my life I find myself being asked that question and discovering how I am as I answer If you've been in the church a little while, you've probably heard me say before, that's part of how I would identify the pastoral gift. Some people, they look you in the eye and they ask how you are and suddenly your deepest, darkest stuff starts coming out of your mouth. That's what pastors do. I don't really know. There's numerous people in this church who have the power. They're just gifted in that way and God bless them. Sometimes they're good and useful. Sometimes You run. I just don't want to be asked how I am because I don't really know and I don't know what will come out of my mouth. And I want to suggest to us that very often we don't know how we are because we've spent so much energy distracting ourselves or fighting the sadness, sorrow or pain that's going on in our lives that we haven't actually stopped to see what it is. Our life is so busy, we haven't paused to reflect on how we actually are, (laughs) even though that would be a really good thing to know. And I've got three tools which I'll talk through that I found really helpful in helping me know when I'm not okay. This isn't an exhaustive list, it's just some things I found helpful. I can back up from Scripture if you like, but I'm not going to this morning. Do you have the next slide, David? David. We've got, number one, note your warning signs. You know in life, when you do something or say something, and you go, hmm, what was that about? No? Is that just me? Sorry, you were really good at repeating back to me, but the whole interaction piece kind of useful this morning. We've got to know our warning signs. When something in our life doesn't quite sound right, an analogy. In our old house, we had an ensuite in our uh, in our bedroom, Jess and I. It sounds a lot grander than it was. It was like some plasterboard stuck in the corner with a shower and a sink and a toilet. And uh, we don't have an ensuite anymore. But we do have a downstairs loo, so we're still posh. <laughs> and uh, the thing about our ensuite was it was at the front of the house, but the drainage for the house was at the back of the house. And so if you want a toilet in that location, what you've got to have is a special kind of toilet, because you can't have your normal waste pipe. You can only have a thinner pipe, and what normally goes down a toilet doesn't fit through that thinner pipe, so you've got to macerate it, so you can pump it down the thinner pipe. And So you get these special toilets called macerators, Saniflow, that kind of thing. Essentially how it works is this, you flush the toilet, and there's a pipe into this box that's stuck against the wall, and inside there is a basket and a set of blades, and everything that goes down the... T- Sorry if you're eating at home on YouTube. What well, goes down the toilet goes into this basket. The blades spin, chop it all up so it's small enough to go out the holes of the basket. And then there's a pump that grabs it all and throws it down the tube. And it made this kind of unnerving, whirring, slightly grinding noise. <laughs> to be honest, it's a really bad choice in your ensuite suite. Because if someone goes to the toilet in the night, it's, you know, what's that noise? It wakes you up. We used to turn it off at night. So that we, Anyway, anyway, too much information. If you think I'm done, you don't know me well enough. <laughs> One day, Jess and I were in our bedroom, and the toilet flushed, and it, it didn't sound like the normal whirring, grinding noise that it, it normally sounded like. And we both looked at each other slightly confused. It was sort of more of a, a whooshing, flapping noise. Well, what's that? That doesn't sound right. Confusion on both of our faces until five, six, seven seconds in, dread fell onto both of our faces. (laughs) As we realized that one of our toddlers that shall remain nameless, children that was a toddler then, had just been to the toilet in our ensuite and had put a wipe down it. If you don't have a toilet like that, you've never come across them, let me tell you. You don't put wipes down them. Bad news. And as we both realized, we realized we had three choices. Number one was we could fork out an exorbitant amount of money for the landlord to fix it. I'm tight. I feel like I've been in Yorkshire a long time. It's just not happening. I'm offending everyone today. Our second option is just leave it. Maybe, maybe it'll get better. Or maybe little bits of wipe will clog up the entire basket until it backs up through the toilet and floods out on suite and we have a bigger problem. Option number three is I turn it off, I disconnect the toilet from the box and have a look inside and see if I might retrieve the offending object. Because it doesn't sound right. It's a warning sign. Something's broken. I need to look into it. Only it's not this high, it's on the floor. And as I've already told you, it was a tiny little ensuite, and so it really meant curling up in the fetal position (laughs) so that I could get my eyes in the line to see. Only then you're quite close to the waste pipe for your toilet and so you gag. Because here's one of the reasons we ignore our warning signs. When we go looking at what's causing it to not sound right, we are never going to find anything good. If something in your life isn't quite sounding right, you know that if you go looking as to why did I do that, it isn't going to be good news. So you're tempted just to leave it. But we've got to pay attention to our warning signs. We've got to pay attention to our warning signs. What warning signs might there be? Maybe you get irritable and explode at people for something that just doesn't match. Your response does not match what they did. That's a warning sign. Something else is going on. Maybe you are extremely tempted to open a bottle of wine at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm not talking about people with actual alcohol problems. I'm talking about people for whom alcohol is a leisurely thing. But right now, it's become something serious. Maybe it's you open the chocolate bar to have a piece, but you end up eating the whole bar and another one. Maybe it's you've been scrolling through social media for three hours. Maybe it's you can't get to sleep. Maybe it's you can't get out of bed. Maybe it's you're super tired. Maybe it's you're overworking. There are all kinds of warning signs in life. What are yours? Do you know them? The second thing that we need, which goes hand in hand with the first, is we need to start to ask, what is the good life? What do I mean by that? What am I hoping for in life? What am I expecting my life to be like? Because often when we start to peer down the tube to see what's causing the funny noise, we discover that what's in there should never have been there at all because we've believed a lie. we've believe that life should be somehow different than what we're experiencing, and as we've expected life to be that way, we found that therefore something isn't quite right. The third thing, and I'm messing up my order of slides probably, apologies. If you can find the one that says number three as well, that'd be great. The third thing that we need is people in our lives that we can both ask and be asked, how are you? Because number one, that means you know you're going to be asked, so you should probably know. And number two, If you don't know, it's really helpful, because then you find out. And it's a two-way thing. Let me give you an example from my own life in the last two years of how these have played together. At some point, I don't really remember when it was, in the last two years that have felt like 30 years, and a couple of weeks, I don't know how it works. Like, time has bent, hasn't it, in the last two years? Somewhere in there, I got a letter through the post from Pete, who knows I'm telling this story. It's helpful. It was a bank form. And uh, I had to sign it as well, dual signature, because stops us ripping off the church. Both have to sign it. I have no idea what it was about, but I did at the time. Because we do look after the church's money really well. And uh, he put it through, and I needed to read it and sign it as well as he had done, and then put it into the envelope that he'd kindly provided and post it off to the bank. And I read it all through, and it was all correct. And then at the bottom, Pete had signed it, Pete Marfleet. He'd printed his name, Pete Marfleet. He'd written the date, whatever the date was. And then he'd written his Position, because you have to write your position on there. And he'd written, pastor. Now, it's worth you knowing that I don't think we've got job titles, have we? But if we did have job titles, Pete's would probably be pastor. He's not lying on the form. He's written what his job is on the form. But on that day, I read it, and something inside me growled. (laughs) And so I signed it, Adam Price, printed, Adam Price, put the date on whenever it was and then it said position I put senior pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Which if we had job titles might be my job title because it probably is, probably is my job title but I never use it for my own. If you, you ask me to do a reference. Then I write senior pastor on it because it's for you, right? People who get my reference think, oh, he's a senior pastor. That must be worth something. I never use it for myself. I don't ever use pastor, really, apart from on that day on that form. And here's the stupid thing. No one's ever going to see that form apart from one person who works for a bank that's based in Kent. <laughs> I'm sure the bank look after our money, too. doesn't matter. Yet something in me got disgruntled and made me make a noise as I wrote senior pastor that it shouldn't have made. So I folded it up, put it in the envelope, walked out, put it in the letterbox and walked back to my house. I went upstairs to my study and I sat down and I went, why am I such an idiot? What was that about? Because my warning sign had kicked in. I'd grabbed at power. <laughs> there was no power, right <laughs> writing Celia Faster on a floor that no one's gonna see, but that's what I'd done, right? That's what I'd done. I'd gone, no, no, no. I'm bigger. I'm better. I'm in sh- i you know, I'd squared up to a piece of paper. <laughs> I'm in charge here. And I had to go, why? Why did I do that? I'm down in the veto position. Looking into a tube that's coated in poo, going, what's in there that shouldn't be? And you don't just look, right? You have to get your arm in. It's like those steady hand games. Just like when the metal bit touches the metal, it goes bzzz. Apart from when your arm touches the edge, you gag. You have to reach in and get it out. And so I'm going, well, why? Why did I do that? Why am I such an idiot? Well, I, and I go, well, clearly I'm cross with Pete. Yeah. But that's not enough. That didn't tell me anything. Why am I cross with Pete? Right. Just keep asking why and you get to some real horrible stuff down the pipe. And I realized as I was thinking it through, I was like, do you know what? I'm, I'm crossing because he's just been grating on me. And do you want to know? Do you how Pete had been grating on me. I'm telling you, only Pete looks good in this story. I look like an absolute <laughs> idiot. Can't tell stories where other people look like idiots. He'd been really grating on me because he was full of faith. And he, he was hearing he was hearing from God. Only <laughs> he had vision and hope. It's the middle of lockdown. And I was like crawling for each day, going, oh, can't make it. You there, God? And Pete's like, yeah, God spoke to me about all sorts. I'm going, I don't even know if God's there. Don't really want to get out of bed this morning. I ate six chocolate bars yesterday. I was cross because he was doing better than me. What do we call that? Envy. I was deeply envious in my heart of my friend and of my teammate. Deeply envious, so envious that I squared up to a piece of paper and wrote senior pastor on it. <laughs> but that's not all the stuff that's in there, right? What else? What else is down there? I've got a bit of the wipe out, but the problem is the blades do cut up the wipe. There are lots of little bits, and you can't just scoop around because there's blades and a poo-covered pipe that you don't want. So you've got to use your fingers and pull it out bit by bit, right? There's more. What's my picture of the good life? What did I think it should have been like? And I realized what I thought it should be like is that because I am the senior pastor, (laughs) because I lead the team, I should be the one who always leads the team. I should be the one who's got it together all of the time. I'm the one who should always be doing well. Do you know what I discovered in my study that day? It's okay not to be okay. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. God ain't looking for heroes, even in pastors. Yeah. I believed the lie that I needed to be the one who was leading all the time, who had it sorted, who never had a problem. And so when someone else is doing that and I had a problem, I had a problem. And it's sort of one thing to recognize that for yourself. It's another thing to begin to verbalize it and to work it out. Because do you know what? When I wrote senior pastor on the form, I sinned against heaven and against earth. Because I stole power. So I have to say, God, I'm so sorry. For what an awful thing I did. Friends, I was cut to the heart. But I hadn't just sinned against God. I'd sinned against Pete in my heart because I was angry with him. And so a couple of weeks later, we were out for a walk and he loves me. And so he looked me dead in the eye and he said, How are you, Adam? And I said, Pete, let me tell you a funny story. (laughs) You know, that bank form you sent me, well, it really bugged me that you wrote pastor on it. So I wrote senior pastor on it and sent it off because I was jealous. I was envious of how well you're doing. I'm just really struggling. I just can't keep up. I'm crawling through muck, and you're flying. And Peter's a really good man, he went, it's all right, mate, it's okay, you're doing a great job. And we processed some more about how I might have found myself in that pit and what I've already told you about myself, I'm all the way down here on the extrovert spectrum, but what had I done? For about 37 years of the lockdown that's been happening, I've been sat in a room on my own. Because we weren't allowed to go and see people. We weren't allowed to sit inside, didn't have an office we could work in. I was lonely. And it had just dragged me down. So Pete and I went for walks every single week. There were the highlights of my lockdown. And we prayed and we talked and we shared. And he helped me get from crawling through every day to actually being able to walk. Because that's what teams do, right? It's what brothers or sisters do. We've got to recognize when we're not okay. When we hear the warning sign, we've got to get in and look. Because if you don't, it's going to back up and you're going to have a bigger problem. And you've got to ask the painful question, which is, what lie have I believed? You know, what picture of the good life am I expecting should be happening right now? Pete Scazzaro, I think this is on a slide, David. I'm keeping you on your toes today. He wrote this. Pete Scazzaro written a whole selection of books and courses, The Emotionally Healthy Everything, basically. Church, leader, disciple, I don't know, other things too. He says, the spiritual journey is not a success story or a career move. It is rather a series of humiliations of the false self. You know what? On that day, as I looked down the pipe at what was going on in my heart, I was humiliated. Right? It's so horrible when you see yourself thinking such things. You go, what an idiot am I? you like, oh. You feel embarrassed. You feel ashamed. You ever been there? Yeah. You look at why you did something, you go, what? Oh humiliating but whoever told us that the spiritual walk was a walk of comfort and ease Jesus didn't in this life you will have troubles if they've rejected me they'll reject you he said the world around us tells us that life will be comfortable without any troubles I believed a false picture and in that moment as I realize it I've got the choice I can say no no that is my false self it isn't who I really am And I can allow it to be stripped off and nailed to the cross with Jesus. Or I can go, no, 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 that is who I am. I want to protect it. I'm the senior pastor. Friends, we have a choice. Every time we hear the warning noise, every time we look through the pipe, will we go, okay, God, I'm following Jesus. And the good life is to look more like Jesus. That's my goal. And that doesn't look anything like Jesus, so it can go to the cross with him. And I can be made new. I can be restored, redeemed, rescued. Friends, we have a choice when we begin to ask how we are. Because I know we're British, and I know the bog-standard answer is fine. But I also know that most of the time, if someone who truly loves us sits us down and looks us in the eyes and says, How are you really? there's some stuff that we can talk about. And if the road following Jesus to become more like Jesus is the good life, whatever it may hold, which, friends, I truly believe it is, then we've got to be prepared for part of our false self to get crucified on a regular basis. And it hurts taking off the mask. It hurts bearing your soul. It is isn't very nice putting your hand through the pipe. Makes you gag. You want to wash afterwards. But it's part of the process to become more like Jesus. Jesus. The good life following Jesus is to become more like him. What did you think the good life was? To have enough money, to get promoted, to not face difficult decisions where you seem like you're going to lose in both directions. We've got to pay attention to the warning signs. We've got to ask ourselves, what is the good life? And we've got to put ourselves around people who love us and who will ask us, how are you Really? Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? I said before that God's eyes look around the world, looking for his kids who are lost to come home. He's a father, a dad who loves us. His eye is upon you and it's full of love for you and he's asking you this morning, how are you? How are you really? Do you know what? Life might be good, but I bet there's some pain. Maybe you've been distracted from it. Maybe you've been fighting it. I just want to invite you. Why don't you vocalize it to the Father who loves you this morning? I don't need to tell anyone else right now. Just You and God, how are you? Are you sad somewhere in your life? Are you hurting? Are you confused? Are you lost? Are you afraid? Are you bitter? Have you been grabbing at power? Are you squaring up to bits of paper? Are you grabbing at sex? At money? Are you putting masks on? Just be honest with him. This is us bringing our complaint. God, it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't sound like that. My life, it shouldn't sound like that. Something's got in there that shouldn't be there. Then we're asking boldly. And we're choosing to trust In the midst of our sorrow, the midst of our sin, the midst of our suffering, the midst of our pain. We're going to finish this morning by taking communion together. We're coming close, we're coming to the table where the body and the blood of Jesus is. As we take the bread and drink the wine, we're partaking in him. We're going to the cross with him and we're coming out of the tomb with him. This is your moment. You've got a visual, kinesthetic, movement based act where you can take your false self and leave it at the cross and come out. And we're going to put a video on, a music video. We're not going to have the band up, we're not going to sing along. It is an amazing song. I hope we learn it in this series. You don't need to sing along. The words will be there. You can reflect on it. And whenever you're ready, come down to the front. And as you take the bread and the the wine, I I want it to be for you that fourth step, where you choose to trust God. It shouldn't be like this. And, And I want you to take that false self off of me. Reveal the true self beneath. I want to be more like Jesus. And I trust that you're good in what you're doing and that you've made that possible. And as you come and as you take the bread and wine, you're partnering with Jesus. You're receiving that forgiveness. That means that although you did square up to a piece of paper, it hasn't defined you. And you can be free from the consequences of it. So that I don't do it again on the next form that comes through. This table here on your left is gluten-free bread. All of the tables are non-alcoholic. We're still in plan B. So I'd like you not all to take your masks off, run down and breathe all over each other, (laughs) but maybe stagger, right? Don't crowd round. Take it away, back to your seat, take it with someone who you know if you want to pray for one another, great. Bring your cups back at the end. We'll have the song and maybe a couple of times. If you want to sit there quietly, let the words wash over you. The scriptures talk about singing over one another a couple of times. I think that's what this song does. It's beautiful. But what we're doing, friends, is we're choosing to lament our pain where we have discovered that we're not okay but that it shouldn't be like that. And we're asking boldly that God would come and help us not make our home there but be transformed by the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ. Can I pray for us? Can I invite you to rise to your feet if you're able? Something about engaging, it's warm in here again today. Don't want you to drop off, want you to engage with the Lord. You can ignore me, but engage with him. Father, we are so thankful that there's no qualification barrier for coming to you. We're so thankful that you're not looking for us to get ourselves together so that we can come into your courts, but that you did everything that was required. We're so thankful that you have done what was required for sin to be taken from our lives, that we might be washed clean. We're so thankful that you aren't finished with us, but that you give us your spirit to take us on that journey of becoming ever more like Jesus Christ. I pray for this church family. I pray for guests amongst us. Pray for every one of us, however we are today, okay or not okay. I pray your spirit would come. You'd help us discern what's not right. You'd give us strength to embrace the humiliation of our false self that we might become more like Jesus. And as we take bread and wine now, Lord, I pray for significant encounter with your grace. That sets us free today and for tomorrow for your fame and glory, and for the sake of the world around us that needs us to look like Jesus. Come, Lord, we pray. Amen. If we put the song on, David, thank you. You can come straight down. You can sit, you can reflect, you can listen. We probably have it on twice. That gives us six minutes. Come, take your communion. Lament with God. Process how you are. If you need to go and get your kids, feel free to go whenever you want. Let's respond together this morning.